my lords and members of the House of Commons, by virtue of His Majesty's commission, under the great seal, to us and other lords directed and now read, we do in His Majesty's name and in obedience to His Majesty's commands, prorogue this Parliament to Tuesday, the third day of July, 1945, to be then here holden. Today, at the House of Lords, the Lord Chancellor, after reading the King's speech, announced the dissolution of Parliament. Great Britain is faced with a new general election. One, two, one, two, three, go! Brotherheads! Top five everything. Welcome back. It's nice to be back. All right. How you doing today? I'm very well. Uh, I'm nappy. You're nappy. That's because that's because you were afternoon drinking in the backyard. I was afternoon drinking in my summertime backyard. Uh, It's so beautiful out there. New deck. Brad built a new deck. I did. I built it by my own hands. Oh my god! You're such a man. I feel so. Uh, There's something very complete about doing like manual labor. Well, like yeah, it's complete you because... You see the fruits of your labor. You have completed yourself. You are now a man in full. That is true. I that, will that... never be a man in full because my constructive uh, construction abilities do not extend beyond Ikea. I can, yeah. I'm can. I'm a whiz with an Allen key. So just an but Allen beyond, key. But beyond that, that, well, you know what? Sometimes I cheat. I got, I got the drill and I put the Allen key um, extension on right. the drill and I... Uh, Instead of like twisting around and around, I just zip it up. Also, not helping you is the sort of obscure references to Tom Wolf books, The Man in Full. Is that a Tom Wolf? That's book? That's a Tom Wolf book. I thought we were going there anyway. No, I didn't know that that was oh. a Tom Wolf book. But you know what? You know, it's my homage. He died recently. He died recently. So, yes, uh, a Southern Dandy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I am wearing a white suit. And, as we and, speak. and you look great in it. Yeah, you look great in it. Yes. Uh, all right, man. We're back at elections. Elections. It's part top, two of top, top five, five elections. elections. Yes. So we ended last week. I believe we ended with the 1860 U.S. presidential. We did, election. and now, that was a an election. That started a war. That's right, and I think you're going to talk to a little bit about an election that ended a war. Well, it or didn't came exactly, at the end yeah, of exactly. The war. It didn't yeah. exactly end the war, uh, but it came at the end of the war, but not after the end of the war. Interestingly enough, it came before the end of the war, and the party that was responsible, or the person that was most responsible for the war, got defeated. For I am the victory, talk- one would say. The yes, the, yeah, exactly. Yes. Possibly the man most associated with victory in World War Two lost. An election before the end of World Amazing. War II. Amazing. I want to hear about this. Yeah, so this is the 1945 UK general election held on 5th July um, 1945, obviously. So this is... So this is after VE Day. Yeah, it's a month after VE Day. But uh, before VJ Day. Before VGA Day. I believe it's about two months before yeah. VJ Day. Yeah, at least. And this brought an end to the national government. So the national government... Uh, was a government that first came to power in 1935. So it was a coalition okay. government bringing together labor, conservative, and liberals in a, in a single coalition government. Wow. It is the longest parliament in UK history. So it was just short, like about four months short of 10 years. 10-year government? Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, when, when everybody's in it, you know, you don't lose yeah, too many confidence votes. Yeah. I'm confident in you. Yeah, yeah. Are you confident in me? But you know what? So so it managed to to keep confidence in itself up yes. until up until um, I guess about about um, probably just after VE Day, 
when the Labour Party, who was the the sort of the second largest member of the group under right. under Clement Attlee, um, decided that no, no, it didn't want to be a part of this government anymore. Was there it an wanted imp- to um, instigate elections? Was there an impetus for that? I think VE Day was, was the it, impetus. It was like the, the the end. I mean, obviously, the war in Japan is still going on. And they'll win it, like yeah. the United yeah. Nations. Yeah, I mean, the, the end it. was clearly was clearly. So I guess it's time foretold. to stop uh, with the unified government for wartime and let's transition to peace. Time. Yeah. So throughout the war, there had been a there had been a noticeable drift leftward in sure. UK politics, and I think this this happens. I mean, so leftward, if you if you equate, you know, sort of left wing politics with a belief in the power of the state to ameliorate, you know, social condition, uh, you you actually see this um, with World War One as well, and I think actually many sort of sort of total wars bring this to the fore. This right. notion that all of a sudden everybody is cooperating together, and the state as a as a sort of a mechanism, as a as a collection of institutions, is doing remarkable things. So so there was a growing faith in the state to right. solve social problems, uh, which was something that that Churchill's brand of conservatism didn't really take part in sure. outside of the war effort. Um, there was a growing leftward drift. Uh, I don't want to say drift. A growing uh, leftward impetus in politics. So throughout the war, there had been there had been by elections. Um, for various sort of one-off seats, and, and, and labor was winning these. It wasn't actually labor so much. It was it was this this odd uh, left-wing party called the Commonwealth Party, which was sort of a Christian socialism. Okay. So so when we're talking about labor winning, and when we talk about like sort of um, the 1945 election being a being a bold stroke for socialism or or a, a blow for socialism. We're not necessarily talking about a Marxist socialism. No, of course it's not. it's a very sort of heterodox socialism where you're bringing in all kinds of of strains. You're bringing in this this odd that I don't know that really exists much anymore. Christian socialism that was very popular during the war. In fact, there was there was one candidate who won a by election um, during the war, and he won it on a slogan of. This election is a fight between Christ and Churchill. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. He's setting sides up. He's, he's setting sides. So, so I mean, you, you've, you've got all these things going on. You've got, you've got a, a move leftward in politics where, where people are seeing the ability of the state to, to you know, sort of do great things. Um, you've got a growing dissatisfaction with Churchill, not as a war leader, yeah, but, but as, as a peacetime, as a, as a, as a, as a peacetime prime minister, leader, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And in fact, one of his big blunders during this election, so it was against Clement Attlee was was the leader, and you couldn't have a more distinct clash of personalities. Agreed. You have you have Churchill, who is a is you know is a charismatic, a master of of you know what was then a very new technology, which was radio campaigning, um, full of bluster, full yeah. of full of great phrases. Versus uh, Clement Attlee, who is a small man with a little mustache and looks like a you know a mid-level civil servant, but who is a master of what well, one understatement and two that sort of inside backroom politics. Sure. One of the great blunders of that that um, Churchill made during this election was he said that you you couldn't institute Labour's proposed socialist program without a secret police. And he said, you know, they would bring in a British Gestapo. Unbelievable. Yeah. And and Clement Attlee just sort of deflected this going, well, you know, this is this is clearly a man who can only think in terms of warfare. But this isn't a war election. And this is the thing, right? And that's probably I mean, the thing. And probably I mean the technically British, the war was still going on, but for the British I think the British people were transitioning at that point yeah. out of the 
the the suffering of the Second World War, and we're looking for yeah. something more than that type of politics, probably. Yeah. So nobody expected this. Nobody expected the result. So so the result was, um, I got, I can't, I'm not going to bring up the exact numbers, but it was roughly just a little over 200 seats for the Conservatives and just a little under. Uh, 400 seats for Labour. So it was a, it was a 145 seat difference. So this was not a close election. Like, was the was the, was the Liberal Party much of a force at that time? No, it was. I mean, I think the it Liberal was long gone. It, or well, it, it wasn't. Gone it wasn't long gone, gone but it, but it it was significantly diminished, and right. and you know it obviously didn't never recovered. You know the the Nick Clegg Cameron coalition being the yeah, last sort being of being the last yeah and Labor, yeah or of Liberals yeah yeah UK Liberals so. So it wasn't a close result, but it wasn't an expected result by anyone. So up until this point, Churchill and actually Clement Attlee, because they were both members of the same government, had been over in Potsdam negotiating with, at that point, Truman and... and Stalin. And Stalin. Yes. Right, yeah. So so when, when Churchill left Potsdam to go back to, to England to, you know, finalize the election, he never even fully packed. Like, he left his stuff there because he was just so confident that he was going to be, be coming back. He didn't say goodbye to, to the, the American or Soviet representatives. And, you know, he just he just, uh, he just just disappeared, just nipping back to Blighty for the yeah, election. For the and, election I'll, I'll I'll be, and I'll be back. back. Yes, exactly. Back well, in time bet, for Christmas. I bet and, Clement Attlee looked weird in Churchill's suits. Well, this is the thing. When Clement Attlee turns up alone <laughs> after the election, Molotov... The uh, the Soviet, Soviet foreign, foreign minister, minister is like, what the hell happened? This would never be allowed to happen in the <laughs> Soviet Union. No, it would not. So it was an absolutely shocking result for everyone. I think, I mean, I don't know exactly. So 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 I've spoken about some of the social trends that were, that were going on. One of the interesting ones that I didn't mention is that, and, and I think this is a an interesting that happens. Interesting thing that happens when you're when you're dealing with politics in sort of nations under arms. Right. So Britain had fielded, it wasn't a large military by this by the scale of the Soviet Union or the Americans, but it was certainly large by the scale of what, what Britain, Britain could produce. Yeah, it was it's, capable its population. Of having, yeah. yeah. And within within that there were there were there was a, a body called the Committee of Current Affairs Education or something like that. Okay. It was it was the C B it was the ABCA, and I can't remember what it calls, Current Affairs being the, the CA, um, Bureau of Current Affairs. But but this was led by, and it was within the, the British Army, okay. and, it, and it was led by a, a socialist. Who really? was, who was so And it was tasked with educating British soldiers, you know, and these, these would be like 18 to 21-year-old right. kids for the, for the most part, sort of encouraging them to think about and discuss Britain after the war. Right. And and the the material they were producing was, was of a very sort of left wing nature, sure. to, to the extent that that some generals just saw it as sedition, and one of them apparently like burned ten thousand of these pamphlets <laughs> that the CBCA had produced in front of the troops. So so within the military itself, there was a rising not revolutionary, but certainly a rising socialist, a rising reformist. Yeah, this tide. progressive and you know uh, idea that the state can do. Yeah, Something exactly. People. And yeah. I always find that really interesting. So I'm I'm fascinated by but by, by like I don't know if you know about during during the English Civil War, you know, during the 17th century, there was a, there was a famous sort of discussion within the new model army, that being yeah. the parliamentary called the Putney debates, where where they all sort of got together and like debated what Britain would look like after the fall of the monarchy, and you had some crazy radical ideas coming out, like really? like full on like sort of communist, you know, not just like 
you know, not just like, you know, state ownership of, of property, but, you know, everybody living together and wow. dissolving the... Anyway, I mean, I just find it interesting when the military, which is generally used for a single purpose, which right. is, you know, closing with and defeating the enemy, <laughs> yes. um, is actually used as sort of a talking shop for, for taking on these political ideas. And the same thing happens in the Soviet Union. Um, and, and one of the reasons why the... Sorry, not the Soviet Union, the Russian Empire. One one of the reasons why the, so the, the Russian Revolution was successful was because... You had brought Soviets. all these people yeah. together. They had the opportunity to discuss these things amongst themselves, and also they had guns. They had guns <laughs> so, to so, go I mean, in yeah, force yeah, exactly to yes to uh, you know we resolve this, and they go out and and enforce whatever they resolve. Obviously, that didn't happen here, but but there's there's certainly a case to be made that that was was a big part of uh, of why the result turned out the way it did. So this is an interesting election, I think. So you also have, and when you put it in the uh, context of the of the Potsdam meeting, because when the big three had first met, like when they had met at Yalta and met at Tehran, they there was well, there was only one guy that was still part of the big three by the end of the war. Yeah, and that was Stalin. Yes, because yes. of course Roosevelt had died. Yeah, uh, and replaced by Truman, and then of course now we have the nineteen forty five election. I believe that is when Mar uh, when uh, Stalin was heard to remark, "Marge, I've said it before, I'll say it again: <laughs> democracy <laughs> doesn't work." So true, so true. So we have a you know, so you're saying like were you saying that like this was not expected? No, it was absolutely for to win. This it was election. it was not expected for Atlee to win this. But a majority government. A, 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 yes, a sizable, a, a sizable majority, majority government. Yeah. So, I mean, now it wasn't the end of, of Churchill's political career. He came back in, I want 50, to say, one? 51, yeah. 52. Yeah, yeah, some, some, yeah, somewhere around there. So, I mean, the, the Clement Attlee government is actually looked on now as, as, a, as you know, a very important government. Um, for for yeah. what it did, so I mean, bringing in the NHS, bringing in, of, service, yeah. bringing in a lot of bringing in a lot of the the nationalization of of industry, it obviously didn't. It, it came in with some fairly utopian ideals. It built itself in its mandate as I believe a free socialist commonwealth. Sure. That was what it was trying to transform England into. It it obviously didn't achieve that. Um, it operated under some really dire conditions. Like one thing I didn't realize, I was just reading about for this was. Once the war was over, Truman ended Lend-Lease without warning <laughs> any of those they were, they were lending it. and leasing to, which absolutely gutted the, uh, well, Britain, the British economy. Well, Britain was under uh, war rationing up yeah. until the late 1940s. Yeah, uh, I believe into the 50s. Into the 50s yeah, even, yeah. yeah. So um, they were on war rationing longer than like France was. Yeah. And France lost the war. <laughs> France lost the war. <laughs> yeah. It was occupied for four yeah, years. exactly. Um, it's interesting, too, to think that you know, you, I think part of it too is you have to look at, like you were commenting, like the, you know, the, this, uh, kit, this, uh, current affairs broadcasting organization within the British army. But also, I mean, this was a national army. Like it, it uh, obviously it had its professional ranks, but like every army during world war two, you know, these were made up of everyday people. Yeah. That's who got, you know, that's who joined or was conscripted. And I think after the end of the war, towards the end of the war, when they get towards the end of it, they're looking for something better. Yeah. You know, they're thinking, and that, and they're, they're thinking of the depression. They're thinking of the way things had been before. And they're like, okay, we've sacrificed a yeah, lot. Exactly. Here. And Churchill didn't offer that. And he Churchill, did not offer Churchill that. offered a vision of British life that was like outdated before the war started. Yeah. I mean, Churchill, the reason Churchill was a good war leader was he was essentially Victorian. 
the reason he was a bad campaigner in 1945 was because he was essentially Victorian. Victorian. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think the British people uh, at that time had sacrificed so much and and wanted what the Labour government was saying. This this new, you know, the new, I don't want to call it the new social order, but like the new, uh, uh, you know, progressivist mindset, you know, national socialized healthcare, uh, nationalizing a lot of the industry. Um, this is what they wanted. I, I think it's a... I just find you know, this election to be a, a very astute choice for the British. Because yeah. you, you think, I mean, you think, ah, I'm the guy who won the war. You know, that yeah. you, should, you should be able to coast on that for at least one election. You and, would think. And I think, I think it's good when the electorate says, no, that and, was I mean, good. He was loved. I yeah. mean, I don't think anyone disliked Churchill. Like the British. Well, I think some people did. Well, I mean, the thing is, he had saying, a history, right? He had a pre-war oh, yeah. history he had a very that was not tumultuous history yeah. in in UK politics. Yeah. But it was more. I think it was just a decision yeah. made at the time. Okay, you were here for the role that you had yeah. to play, and we're you know we're the body politic. You're done. We're yeah. changing you with someone else. Yeah, it's very yeah. interesting. That's a good election, and I think it's. Uh, I, I think it speaks volumes as to why, you know, Britain, everyone else, why we fought the Second World War. In fact, that was actually, so So Churchill, understandably, went through sort of, you know, the 12 stages, stages of grief. Stages of grief, yeah. yeah. And, and his first reaction was, well, Britain's in for it now. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, Britain's yeah. in for a hard time, so it's better that the that the, the Labour be in charge and, and take the flack for it. But his, eventually he came around to the position that, as you said, this is what we were fighting for. Yes, so, exactly. So I'm going to take him at his word that that was actually what he felt and, and you know, give him kudos for that one. Great. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's a, that's an interesting election. I don't know. I totally forgot about that. That was the that one event, that, actually. That was the election um, that got me wanting to do an elections Oh, really? Podcast. Just because I was just, I mean, I was reading, I was reading this history of post-war Britain. Yeah. Which, by the way, I give it up. Uh, Andrew Marr's making of uh, modern Britain is where I got you know ninety eight percent of the facts I just relayed to you. Got to give the shout yeah, outs. Yeah, absolutely. Give the shout outs. Um, I think he's doing all right without my without my shout outs. Without your still. plug. Yeah. Oh well. But um, sure, he appreciates. Like it. just reading about that, I was like, that is so strange. That uh... yeah, Churchill did not finish the war. Because I mean, fact, I've read some places, and I think I don't know if it's like Martin Middlebrook or some of these more conservative British historians. Yeah. Have like you know written that it was oh, it's such a travesty that you know the British people did this and Churchill couldn't finish the war as the war leader. No, but I, that's, that's not the, that's not the that, way politics works. Exactly. It's not your and, entitlement, and it's actually that's not the way it's supposed to work. Exactly. Like that's literally what you were fighting for yes. was the ability to choose a leader. You yeah. made a choice, yeah. and it's not Churchill. No, I actually think that I have respect uh warm feelings i don't know what it is for for the the british electorate in 1945 for, for making that choice yeah because i think that was the right choice oh i think it was and i think uh yeah it was the right choice for britain as a transition yeah from wartime now of course and if they, they had suddenly managed to lose the war in the yeah, <laughs> then it's totally months. on atley yeah, yeah, like he exactly. owns that he yeah. totally owns it no and i think also the transitioning of the new uh, of the of the peace and a new form of government and new yeah. expectations of what government does and this was the byproduct all over the world yeah this wasn't just in the UK this was yeah. in Canada this was the United States I mean the New Deal had sort of incorporated it already into the United States in the 30s but you know this whole this the idea of pensions like government pensions uh, government health care 
people expected this. Like we have sacrificed a lot to maintain these democracies. They have to do more than just. And you've shown yeah. what the state can do, what the state oh, and can produce. And that was produce. what I was also going to say. You know, we were talking about liberty ships. It's like, how yeah. many liberty ships are they? This well, is if what you... we can produce yeah. if we put our minds to it. The state isn't yeah. an enemy of itself. Um, yeah, fascinating, man. All right. Well, that took us back. But I'm going to bring us back forward, back to the future. Back, whoa. Not to, well, I'm actually, confused. I'm going to bring us, I'm like, where are we going? Yeah, where are we going here? Yeah. I, in fact, I'm even going to bring us even recently uh in our home province here we recently had an election you may remember i do remember that and there was a big uh big loss the governing party went from government down to seven seats i I believe it's seven seats seven seats yeah Yeah. so that's pretty crushing to go from majority government territory down to not even official party status but it's not the worst it's not the biggest loss (laughs) that any governing party has seen and uh so we've talked about why these elections are our top five elections. And, you know, they usually involve around, you know, something significant event uh, that occurs in coordination with the election. Or they're just kind of quirky and, and interesting, like Bush v. Gore resulted, like crazy stuff happens. Yeah. Or, you know, this loss by Churchill. Uh, but this one is going to be very interesting, I think, for... Um, and I think the long-term ramifications of it in Canada. And... Uh, sort of what he had done to mainstream parties. So I'm going to take us back to October of 1993. What was your hair like? Was that a mullet? No, I was... Uh, no, you were in the military then. I was then. in the military then, so I had short hair at that time. Okay. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But were you dreaming of a mullet? I think I missed did you have? Did you have sort of phantom mullet? I think like I had you, fa- you sometimes like you lose a hair limb. on the back. Yeah, yeah you yeah, lose exactly. a limb and you think about... Yeah, yeah. I had phantom mullet uh, things going on for sure. Um, yeah, 1993, October of 93. I think it had a, at a, at a short term, um, uh, in, uh, influence on Canada generally, especially the relationship between certain provinces oh, and absolutely. the rest of Canada. Yeah. But, um, we'll get through that when we start talking about this. So we'll take it back to prior to the 93 election, progressive conservative party is the gov- party of government and the prime minister uh, up to a certain date before the election is actually Brian Mulroney. Now, Brian Mulroney uh, had done what most uh, progressive or conservative party leaders in Canada had not done since the days of... Sired uh, Ben Mulroney? Yeah, Sired Ben. <laughs> E-Talk Daily. Yeah. Does he host that, I think? I, I think so, remember. yeah. I think he uh, hosts a lot of things now. Oh, maybe. He's a yeah. Canadian celebrity. No, he yeah. had done what a lot of conservative leaders hadn't done up until that time or up until at least the, the 1930s and since then. And that was formed two back-to-back majority governments. So it had been in government for nine years at this stage. Was that the first time conservatives had been Not the government? first, but the first time since probably the 1930s. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty... So Defoe didn't <clears throat> win... He won one, and, I, and it was minority. He wasn't even in government very long. Yeah, Defoe actually wasn't the, no. the figure no. that... Not yeah. Okay. So yeah, no, there have been a lot of liberal governments in Canada, but Mulroney changed that in '84. Yeah. And he had done it '84. Uh, yeah. Or eight. I can't remember. Yeah. The yeah, early, it doesn't the early '80s. Yeah. Yeah. The early. Yeah, '84 actually. And he had done it by forming sort of a coalition, if you will, of Western conservatives, which was not uncommon. Uh, the province of Alberta and some of the rural areas of British Columbia, very. Typically, he would vote progressive conservative, but he had formed it with a coalition of uh, Quebec lieutenants. 
who uh, were going to be, he was from Quebec himself. He was well known in Quebec, but he formed uh, a, a caucus or a group of, of some pretty shining stars, uh, Marcel Mass and Lucien Bouchard, Bouchard being his key lieutenant in uh, Quebec. And the deal was that if you brought in these, these key players from the province of Quebec, uh, we'll help you carry the province in the general election, but we want uh, quote-unquote into Canada and into the Constitution. Uh, we won't get into that because that's a whole other conversation, but just, you know, what had happened when Canada had repatriated the Constitution to Canada was Quebec didn't actually vote on it, didn't really participate in it, and it was just sort of brought in. Uh, didn't sign it. Didn't sign it. It yeah. was brought in without their signature. So this was going to be, an, it doesn't mean the Constitution's invalid, it just means Quebec politically never really participated in it. And the idea was that Mulroney will bring uh, Quebec into uh, the fold and they will, they will uh, you know, make amendments to the constitution that are palpable to Quebec and, and, and rectify this, uh, this oversight. And this was sort of the dream of Bouchard and <clears throat> some of these key lieutenants. So this manifested itself in uh, two accords, the Charlottetown Accord and the Meech Lake Accord. Both of them failed and failed pretty spectacularly, uh, much to the detriment of Mulroney and Mulroney's government. And by the end of the the last arrangement, was the last one the Meech Lake Accord? I, or was it the first I, one? I believe Meech Lake was first and, and Charlottetown. And Charlottetown was second. And right. Charlottetown, I mean, just describing how badly it failed. It, it, it failed, failed on a, a national a referendum. A national referendum, yeah. exactly. So it uh, failed with the voters, in yeah. fact. The most public kind of political but, failure. You exactly. Yeah. And that was pretty crushing for Mulroney. So shortly after that, Mulroney uh, decides he's going to resign as leader of the Progressive Conservative Party, hands the reins over to Kim Campbell, who then became Canada's first and so far last female prime minister. Yes. <laughs> now, what happened to this sort of coalition of can we, Westerners? Can we just stop that for, for a sure. second before we get in? Just, uh, just speaking of the the Canadian and perhaps Westminster tradition of the Prime Minister on his last legs resigning, handing, handing it over. off to a, a designated loser. <laughs> That's essentially, a, it's a proud tradition. Yeah. Man. It's a very proud tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, that has happened on a few occasions. Who did who did Trudeau hand off to? God, uh, John Turner. John Turner. Yeah, who spectacularly lost as well. Yeah, to Mulroney in eighty four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and exactly. and in a pretty crushing and it, in, in eighty four the uh, the biggest landslide in Canadian history. That's right. And yeah. that but that was at a, that point. And that was a byproduct of this coalition that Mulroney had formed for, right. of Western Conservatives and his uh, Quebec uh, Quebec lieutenants. So the Quebec lieutenants are not very happy about this. Uh, they didn't get what they wanted. So they leave the party. They leave the Progressive Conservative Party and form their own uh, sovereignist, separatist, depending what side of the coin you're looking at, uh, Quebec Federal Party, the Bloc Québécois Party, led by Lucien Bouchard. Uh, also, there's problems out west. So in Western Canada... What? Are they dissatisfied in Western yeah, Canada? Yeah, they were dissatisfied as well. Yeah. yeah. It's always kind of fun. The two uh, areas of Canada that, dis that seemingly like to dislike each other the most actually have the most in common, Quebec yeah. and Western Canada. And West, uh, Western Canada is not happy. So they don't like uh, the way politics is done in Ottawa. They don't like the Senate. They don't like an appointed Senate. Uh, they want the like, triple E Senate was the watchword of the day. So, and this is this is under Preston Manning's watch. Well, this I is, was leading up to this. Yeah, oh, sorry. What are they shooting for? 
Reform. Yes. So what do they call their party? The Reform Party. And that is, yes, led by Preston Manning. Can I just stop again just here and just say that these constitutional issues that both Quebec and the West yes. are are complaining about, are agitating against, just seem like such dead letters today. They well, it's you know this is none of said, this got resolved. We still have an appointed Senate. <laughs> Quebec still hasn't signed. Still hasn't the, signed the Constitution. So this is why I say I think it had this election had uh, significant um, uh, significant effects for certain uh, certain political parties. Yeah, and then it had some short term effects that we'll discuss about. But over the long term, uh, outside of it, fundamentally up, you know, upturning the, the some of the political parties in Canada. You know, nothing really changed. Yeah. You know, nothing really came of it afterwards. But, but it is important when you can completely eliminate political parties, as we, yeah, as we'll discuss shortly. So Kim Campbell's heading into this gov- this election. Uh, you know, the reins of a floundering government handed to her by Brian Mulroney. Um, the Quebec lieutenants are gone. The reformists have gone, formed their own party, the Reform Party. So now in Canada, typically you have three parties. Of course, like every general election, you have like, you know, libertarian parties, communist parties, Marxist, Marxist Leninist. Yeah. Why is there a Marxist Leninist and a communist party? I we have that much of a distinction because I see this oh, on the ballot nobody, all the time. No group is more fractious than, yeah, that's true. than the left. Than hard, yeah. hard left. Yeah. That is true. Anyways. Obviously, you always have these parties, but, you know, we have three mainstream parties that actually win seats. And that is, of course, the the Liberal Party of Canada, uh, and it was that time, the Progressive Conservative Party, and the New Democratic Party. Now we're moving in this election with five parties that could all conceivably win seats. So we've got the three that you just mentioned, the Bloc yeah. and uh, the and Reform And the Reform Party. added in. Yeah. Now, the Bloc is not even looking to form a government. They're not running a seat outside of Quebec. Uh, the Reform Party, it seems to me they ran candidates in every uh, riding across the country. But reality was the they real... weren't, they were running Western, they yeah. were going to be a Western party. Yes. Like they, it's like, you know, somebody in New Brunswick voting for Western alienation. Yeah, it just wasn't like, happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it wasn't. They hadn't, you know, their brand of conservatism hadn't really spread east, if you will. So you have two very regional parties and the three national parties. Uh, this... The Conservatives went into this. I actually do have the numbers here because it is quite interesting to see. The Conservatives went into this election with 100 and, uh, sorry, 156 seats. Out of? Uh, out of, a, I think it was 309 at that. No, 295 seats. That's Holy right. cow. So, 295 seats. They yeah. had 156 seats going into okay. this election. Yeah. How many did they win after this election? Ned? I, I think it's... Two? Two. Yeah. Two seats. <laughs> and not including the leader. So Kim Campbell did not win right. her seat. Well, I mean, she was a, a sacrificial leader. She best. was. And yeah. I believe she got a job at uh, the Kennedy School at Harvard. So. Uh, yeah, and she was actually Candace Charge d'Affaires in Boston for a while. Oh, was she? Yeah, yes, she yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, you know, she got a soft landing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, pretty crushing defeat. So... Uh, the party, Progressive Conservative Party, doesn't even get official party status anymore. It only has two seats, Jean Charest and Elsie Wayne from New Brunswick. Elsie Wayne, yes. there's a name I yeah. haven't thought old, about in a long time. Kind of a... And of course, Jean Charest jumped ship. He did. Sometime later. We'll to talk become... of it yeah. about oh, where oh, these people about? end okay. up. Right. Yeah, yeah, well, because it is interesting where they yeah. end up going. 
uh, Audrey McLaughlin, leader of the New yep. Democratic Party, they went in with sort of classic, you know, 44 seats. You yeah. know, that's where they always sort of batted. They come out with nine. Uh, pretty crushing. Oh, so I didn't realize the NDP were crushed in this as Yeah, well. they were as well. Yeah. The Reform Party went in now. So the Reform Party actually had a seat that they had won in a by-election before this election had gone in. Yeah. So they had one, uh, they had one seat. They went from one seat to 52 seats, uh, yeah. all in Western Canada. And uh, the Liberal Party had gone into this election with 81 seats as the opposition came out with 177 and a majority government. The big one, though, is, of course, uh, the Bloc Québécois, who had gone in with 10 seats. And these were the 10 core of uh, Mulroney's, right. uh, you know, Quebec lieutenants that were in his cabinet, actually. So these, now, did they, there, there was no election. That they, no, they, they had jumped ship. jumped ship. They had yeah. jumped ship, crossed the floor, if you will, yeah. and with their new party. Uh, ten of them, and they ended up winning fifty-four seats, and a f- and became the official, so official opposition. opposition. Yeah, yeah, uh, the official opposition that the party is uh, bent on breaking up the country. So that's pretty remarkable when you think of it. Uh, what happens after this election? So what's interesting is uh, some of these parties still stick around; some of them do not last. So the Progressive Conservative Party, uh, despite being pretty beat up, it still exists after this election. Uh, Jean Charest takes it over uh, as one of the two people that still had a seat, uh, takes it into the next general election. He wins a few seats, but he never really, like the party never recovers. The Reform Party, I think in the next general, they do win a seat or two in Ontario. So they're starting to spread, but they're just, they're not making the picture. Yeah, they don't have the brand. They don't have the brand, exactly. And uh, the bloc keeps, you know, gaining power and gaining some authority in Quebec. Um, so I talked about sort of the short-term effects that didn't really manifest themselves afterwards. One of those was, of course, a referendum in Quebec in 1996 mm. um, for another referendum on sovereignty in Quebec. And the no side, uh, you know, heads up, lost that referendum. So by Quebec, a squeaker. By a squeaker, 0.6%, yeah. I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, so Quebec stays in Confederation. Um, the bloc still is around and still has, I think they have five seats right Do now. Do they have that many? I mean, yeah, it, they don't have many. They're sort it's of a perpetual sound. terminal crisis. Yeah, they're you know, always, has been for... they sort of have their core uh, seats that they'll always win yeah. uh, because it, they're in writings that Quebec voters just are not going to vote for a national party. Yeah. But I mean, I think as far as a political force, they're spent. Uh, the Reform Party ends up disappearing uh, into the ashes of history, but so does the Federal Progressive Conservative Party. Well, they don't—they don't as they don't disappear so much as uh, they amalgamate. Yeah, they all amalgamate. Voltron-like. So there's into... a few amalgamations that happen. Yeah. So you'll remember the uh, what was it the co- or what was it called? There was the because um, we went into one election with with, with, one more with the great acronym. Yeah. Well, the, the, it was the coal or the the Canadian. The Canadian Reform... Oh, some coalition. The Alliance. Canadian Alliance Party. That's oh, what wait, they were, were called. These guys? Oh, really? They were the Reformers uh, Reform Party uh, with some conser- progressive conservatives. I didn't know about these guys. Yeah. Okay. And then... And so they were, it was no longer the Reform Party because they were trying to rebrand. And then after that election... Because they were definitely splitting seats. I mean, they're, they're splitting votes. Yeah. You're running two national competitive conservative you know center-right parties against the liberals you're just handing liberals majority government upon majority government you finally have the point where you know the reform has died off they've changed their brand to the the um 
Canadian Alliance Party um, still not making inroads. Progressive Conservative Party is still around. Uh, and then finally, they just amalgamated. And finally, the, this big movement, it was called Unite the Right, Unite yes. the Right, the Unite the Right movement. Uh, this finally happens, and uh, the modern-day Canadian Conservative Party is reborn. After a brief spell, as I believe, the Canadian Reform Alliance Party. May, I thought it was just the Canadian Alliance. I think they stuck with it. They went to the Canadian Alliance after they discovered that Canadian Reform Alliance <laughs> Party spelled crap. Crap. Oh, yeah. that's right, too. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty bad branding. Yeah. That's pretty bad on acronyms. So, you know, this election I find fascinating for a few reasons. One... Um, you have a, a breakup of sort of the old, one of the old parties completely implodes on itself and creates two regional parties, Yeah. Uh, which then, well, one still sputters along, but I stress sputters. And the second ends up not blowing itself up, but amalgamating and morphing and end up, you know, changing completely again to create something, you know, everything that's old is new again. Yeah, it's know? not... I mean, so for the conservatives, I mean, the, the notion of the progressive conservatives was that kind of thing. Like, it was yeah. an amalgamation of two. That's why you have this this oxymoronic name, progressive, progressive conservatives, conservatives. Yeah. is because it was a progressive party and a conservative party. Yeah. And I believe the progressive party were a, wa- oh, a, Western, a Western, yeah, Western regional party. Yeah, yeah. Like so... Like, social credits and those yeah. guys. I mean, yeah. it, it's always... Maybe that's always been the conservatives in Canada's issue is trying to, you know, be sort of a Laurentian old money conservative and also bringing in the populist fervor of the, of the West. West. Yeah. So I find this election interesting for that reason, because it kind of blows up. um, It blows up one of the classic, because I grew up, I mean, progressive conservative, like PC, PC. PC. That was a thing. I I think I I still call them. PCs. I think I still well, they're still called PC in most. Uh, provincial oh, maybe that's parties. why it is. Yeah, most provincial parties uh, they're still called that, but federally that was a thing. And like as I was a kid, Brian Mulroney was the the uh, prime minister for a lot of my youth, and so I always identified you know that conservatism in Canada was progressive conservatism. And after '93, that changed. You know, yeah. it went through a lot of different you know morphing and blending, and to come to modern day uh, conservative party, so completely gone. Uh, the block, like I say, still stumbles along, but really it's yeah. kind of gone uh, in terms of its real influence, I think. I wouldn't write it off entirely. Now, no, no, I, I don't might, think I'll ever go away. The, the block as a party, maybe, maybe done, but the, you know, the, the, the sovereigntist, separatist, no, I, I would never say that. Is, I'd never is say there, that. and, you know, yeah, I would never knows. say that. The same way I would never write off like Western alienation. No, like, no, exactly. And, and I, I, and I, I would never say that. I would just say the block itself yeah, yeah, is a political force. Yeah. Sort of spent. I mean, that was Lucien Bouchard's. That, it was, that was his party. Lucien Bouchard it, it party. never, it never recovered after yeah. he eventually resigned from the party. Yeah, yeah. So you have. Uh, I find the part of the election interesting for that, and you, you know, you have the short-term effect of a you know a referendum in Quebec in '96, and then the long-term effects of one of the parties gone completely and now changing to a modern-day uh, conservative party. So I find it interesting in that regards. Um, I also just, I remember that election very well because it was my first federal election I voted in. Yeah, it would probably be the first federal election I voted in. Yeah, so it really has a long lasting memory for me. And as I try and remember, I mean, the country was coming out of of a recession in the early 90s, as was the United States and a lot of the West. And, uh, you know, I don't really, you know, I I don't really remember. I, I try to remember what were the big, I think the economy was the big um, uh, subject of the election. 
but I don't really recall anything else. I mean, you know, this whole thing about no. helicopters. I mean, yeah, like, and, and helicopters I think, I think Navy, probably sort silly. of the 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 unspoken uh, the, the the subtext of the election was probably fatigue with like a decade and a bit of constitutional yeah of constitutional you know, debate belly aching and debating and, 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 and that's a great navel gazing that's a brilliant observation because i think that is very true i think canadians were sick of because i mean that's sort of what i was saying before stage. it's like those issues that were so red hot back yeah. then to the point that it fractured the conservative party yeah you know and both bits that broke off broke off for essentially constitutional and, and cast reasons. them to the political wilderness yeah. until into the early 2000s yeah yeah and i mean i mean harper comes in you know promising an elected uh senate yeah and, uh, uh, yeah that's just takes know. that right away yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. that disappears immediately yeah. But uh, it's true. I thought um, I think Canadians were just sort of sick of constitutional discussion, constitutional debate. The country became very fragmented at this time. And actually, the fragmentation point is something I've noticed. Like like ever since that election, it seems this country has had a hard time fielding sort of two viable governing parties. Right. right. So so the Conservatives completely collapse in ninety three. Leading to a very long spell of, of liberal, liberal leadership yeah. under under Chrétien and Martin, yeah, um, Martin, sorry, um, <laughs> and, and the reason that spell of of liberal leadership is so long is not necessarily due to you know the, oh, the no. genius of either of those two men. No. It's because there was no viable, there's no viable replacement government exactly. waiting in the wings. Well, I mean, you have a, the the right is split, yeah, and then at any time that any one of the, be it the 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 Canadian Alliance or the PCs uh, look like they have a lead, like they're running candidates for leadership, like Stockwell yeah. Bay, who I'm sure is a lovely person, yeah, but yeah. and look but they're great just not, in a scuba suit. Oh, amazing when he yeah. came up on the jet yeah, ski, exactly. incredible. Yeah, like yeah. shenanigans like this. Yeah. They're very much a party of shenanigans. But the same thing happens after the fall of Paul Martin, and the and and the Harper opposite comes, direction. Yeah, in the opposite, opposite direction. direction. Even though he's governing with, you know, ostensibly governing with a minority government harper governs like he's like uh yeah you know he's well he could because i mean at, after that you because martin, the liberals couldn't field anyone they couldn't field someone either you know yeah. they kept chasing the next big thing like they'll run and get you know michael ignatia for they'll go and yeah. run and get this candidate and you know it just it never it, it never solidified for them until eventually the the conservative party runs its gamut of 10 years of government exactly or whatever it was at that time and then they you know they don't collapse but you know they lose in a pretty resounding uh, majority. Bring uh, it back to the Ontario election. Recent to the Ontario we could election. we could bring it back because I I just wanted to point out that I think one of the reasons why the Liberals collapsed so hard is um, Catherine Wynne, Kath, Kathleen Wynne, Kathleen Wynne, Kathleen Wynne was supposed to be Kim Campbell, right? Dalton McGinty yeah. was ruling for a long time, sort of yeah, left under a cloud. Yeah, but she did form a she formed she, a majority she government. Won. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, won. right? Like yeah. she was she was supposed to be that caretaker who yeah. was just going to sort of and lead them to up, graceful decline. Ended up leading. Ended up yeah. winning because the PCs yeah. couldn't field a viable yeah. viable. I candidate. find it interesting that uh, so this election again to go back to ninety three. Why I chose yeah. this one? I mean, I, I remember it. You know, and it was important to me. And really, we've established well in this podcast. It's really just stuff we care about. Oh, absolutely. And the hell with everyone yeah, else. Yeah, make your own podcast. But it is, I think, uh, an important election because what if it what it does to the Canadian the classic Canadian political structure that had existed through the seventies and eighties. Uh, up to that point, it kind of blows up one of those yes, parties and fundamentally changes and it. We've never and re- it, we've never really, yeah, we've never also, and it, I think it creates a fragmentation too, 
or it shows the fragmentations that existed, no doubt, in Can- in Canadian society, but no one had a party to represent them. Yeah, you know. So I think Westerners always felt alienated. I think Quebec always felt felt alienated. Yeah. you know, they just never had parties to to express that in the way they voted, and all of a sudden you did, and now it's on display in the House of Commons. Uh, so I think that's important. Yeah, that's I think good... it, it does lead to the '96 uh, referendum, which you know, unfortunately, did not result in 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 uh, in Quebec's leaving Confederation. But I, I think the long term effects of this election, I think, to some degree, are still felt. I think that, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was that was the shattering of what in Canada was sort of the post-war political consensus, which yeah. was liberals mostly rule, conservatives act as an opposition and rule sort of, you know, right. in the uh, in the interstitial, you know, stages. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's between those two parties, everything's taken care of. And, yeah. and exactly, it's, it's become a much more regional, although Canada's always been regional, but it's been a much more fractured It's been politics. much more fractured yeah. since then. And I don't think, uh, it's definitely not our Bush v. Gore. It's not our 2000 no. U.S. election that creates this, grudge match between the democrats and the republicans but i do think it also uh with the with highlighting the fractures in in canada geographically i think it also then uh you know you start the politics gets a bit meaner you know i think the politics does get a bit tougher after, it does after it does. the 93 election i i think you're right and maybe that's the, it was going to anyways i don't know if this election was a byproduct of that, or if that's I just wonder the if it style becomes, of the time. If it becomes more ideological, well, again, because I, I mean, Harper brings definitely like Harper well, brings a different kind of conservatism well, to play than like Mulroney that, did. And so, you know, to to not to wrap, but to sort of encompass why I think it's important. Because I mean, at the end of the day, what let's fast forward. What happened? We had three mainstream parties before '93, and we still have three mainstream yeah. parties. But I think one of those mainstream parties isn't the same one it was prior to '93. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not the progressive conservative party that it was. It is, you know, it's not everyone in the cons- present capital C conservative party, you know, is is a is a, is, you know, exceedingly right wing, you know, ideologically. Uh, there's still progressive conservatives there, but I think it's driven more farther to the right than it was prior to '93. Yeah, I think the party is for sure. Um, which sort of creates maybe not a fracturing across Canada, but a bigger fractioning between your parties, which creates more divisiveness in the in in election campaigns. I think I think you're right, and I think that is probably where we should. It's a uh, great wrap spot, this man. One. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. All right, so all right, gentlemen. Top five. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see you in the morning. Four or five now, but we're, uh, we're, we're going to do a couple more next. Yeah, week. we've each done two. It may be top six. It may be, who knows? Maybe seven. We may just abandon this whole five (laughs) charade. Top stuff. Yes. We'll just call it good on that. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Mr. Prime Minister, does he understand that his plan to allow a deficit each year would increase our debt? How can he believe that you can kickstart a modern economy by fixing some roads? Why doesn't he answer the questions he's asked? Doesn't he understand the questions? Or the answers? Or both? Jean Chrétien, a Prime Minister? Think twice.